The Mission publishes the number one newsletter for accelerated learning. Learn from the best and brightest by joining our community at themission.co forward slash subscribe. On this episode of the Mission Daily, Chad is interviewed by Chris Lockhead of the Legends and Losers podcast. Chad and Chris talk all things marketing and what the greatest content companies have in common with each other. We hope you enjoy. So you take marketing and turn a company's content marketing, you're essentially their content marketing strategy. You say, hey, look, stop spewing out all the stupidity, turn yourself into a media company and we will turn you into a media company. Yes, and we will create a custom branded channel for you. We say this in a very polite way because all of your internal efforts to develop something like this have failed and they all have they all have track record of bodies whether it's corporate podcasts or anything like that where they know for a fact that it just doesn't work when they try to do it internally. So we say we will build this custom branded channel that is fits Larry Page's definition of the toothbrush problem for your key audience whoever you're trying to reach. This is going to be their number one news and information source that is going to literally mediate a solution to the problems in their lives. And you sponsor this branded channel with us for a select period of time. That way we're both incentivized to put our you know, best foot forward. And so we'll take something like marketingtrends.com and that's going to be, we're selling it to Pardot right now. So they're a killer partner and we're going to have an interview show for CMOs. IT Visionaries is the case study that's out in the wild where there isn't a great news source for CIO. There are a couple like, you know, isn't CXO talks and stuff. It's crazy. Information right? Week, CIO Magazine, you guys are f- whiffed. I don't know yes. what you did. You f- committed Harry Carey. You did donuts <laughs> in the parking lot. I don't know what you did. But when I was growing up, Information Week was what you read. Yeah. And, and CIO was behind it. And yeah. CMP said, oh, well, I don't know. We don't get it anymore. Oh, they just, that, now they're gone. Then you go to their website, the UX on it looks like it was designed during the Nixon administration. It probably, it probably was inspired by, yeah, the, the Nixon administration at the least. But there's just, there's such a demand for this. And it's a situation where, I mean, we've sold five of these so far. We'll probably have another five sold by year's end. So we've sold five successful pilots and are in renewal conversations for every single one. The first Salesforce team that bought renewed and we just put out offers. We have a partnership with CAA that we just closed. And we just put out offers to a bunch of different celebrities to come on and be celebrity narration for select seasons of these shows. And the client bank rolls it. So we're like, so, so I just want to make sure promotion I a thousand percent understand because I actually yeah. think I might have a prospect for you. So I'm, I'm some meaningful company or maybe a startup, sure. whatever I am. I'm a company. And I've decided that I want to really execute a, a very serious, for lack of better term, owned media strategy that is not sure. rehash of that I actually, I, I forget I'm a profit-making software company. Right. And I launch a media brand with you. And you sure. create a set of content across a set of channels that builds me meaningful audience. And I, as a company, get thought leadership as the sponsor of the CIO Super Ding Dong content.com. And Absolutely. you make Super Ding Dong CIO content company go. Okay. I write you a check and you make me a legendary content marketer. 
Absolutely. And we'll drive lead gen, whether the priority is lead gen or whether the priority is just simply impressions. So like our first campaign with Salesforce was just impressions for their brand team. And we ended up doing, I think, eight to nine million total logo impressions of podcast covers, written content, everything like that. And the branded channel, it's available on a microsite. We have written versions of the stories. We have the podcast version. And then the upsell is video. After we add video, we're going to upsell VR. We're going to upsell AR. And it sounds crazy, but volumetric image capture is, it's not that expensive. Once we get a decent studio, we'll be able to do that. We'll and do what? A volumetric image capture. I don't it's, even know what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's and I didn't smoke any pot or have any scotch <laughs> or anything, although maybe I should. Yeah, I mean, fire one up. Let's, uh, let's go musk on it here. I will if you will. <laughs> After in person for sure. But so all that is, is just a green room. And you take the guests or whoever might be wanting to join the podcast or the celebrity that's narrating, you do volumetric capture, which is about a couple hour process. And that person's likeness is then put into Unity. And then with Unity, you can take and basically you can create the show in VR. You can have a VR version of it. You can have an AR version of it. And the idea is we're going to be the first network of channels that's available in uh, every single medium. And these enterprises, the CMOs are so desperate to take any type of podcast, video, VR, and AR to their CEO and just say, oh, we're experimenting with it. We're doing it. We're going to get them to bankroll this whole thing wow. just really, really fast. Yeah. That sounds, uh, I, I still not sure I understood any of what you just said, like why anybody would want a VR version of Legends and Losers, but like, <laughs> Oh, they, right. they would for super- what the you do with a VR version like it'd be like you're sitting in the room with us exactly yeah so it would be sitting in the room and you would be able to just basically just like hang out with you and even if it's with whoever you know you and whoever you're talking with once you have the person's likeness captured you can manipulate so it's not like a really sophisticated environment at first but that's okay like that's mainly you want to do the volumetric image capture for AR but for VR you do that and then you can just have a basically just a regular HD VR video camera um, so these are not expensive. A VR anymore. podcast called Drinking with Lockhead. Yeah, I mean we're like one of the show, the branded channels we're working on is Happy Hour, and I think that that is a huge unexploited niche. Like that's a something that's in the social consciousness. It's such a big part of people's daily lives. Yet there's no place you can like, there's no like real world cheers that's fun like for people in tech business who are fun people. Like that's that's the big thing uh -huh. too is that there isn't a media company that's about like having fun anymore or like jokes or pranks or trolling people or that can also talk about serious business stuff I, or yeah. it's just like you know random nonsensical vice stuff which is like some of their stuff is fine but it's generally just like stupid nihilism and we're going to be about yeah meaningful things and we like we respect cios like they there's some badass people i mean they control all of consumer purchasing basically based on the technologies they adopt they're really cool people so yeah we want to turn business people into heroes yeah, this is a small step towards that. So Wow. And how have you guys been so insanely successful? I should have – I'm. is this you on I'm my paranoid. podcast or me on your podcast? <laughs> we should start – we can start recording in a second. I'm sorry. I, well, be I, I hit the record time, button a while ago because I, I never uh, – Legends awesome, and Losers yeah, was it. just a conversation, so I just hit it and, and we go. And The big question I have for you, of course, is you guys have, have amassed a gigantic audience. How, how do you do that? <laughs> I, I don't know how to answer this one because it's, it sounds pretty flippant 
if I say, I'm just following my intuition, that's not the answer that people are looking for, but I'm driven about this stuff. I like, I built this company to solve my exact pain points as a writer exiting the military. I saw how insanely difficult it was for creators to get paid for their creative work. And I had some modest, modest success with the first book I wrote for veterans on Kickstarter. And in, an acquiring editor at Simon Schuster reached out to me. We started talking. I asked her about the contract, what it would entail. And what I realized is this is the worst deal of all time. I could hit this out of the park and I have zero creative control. I am not the final say in, any, in anything that really matters. Why, why would I do this for seven years? I stepped back for a second and started to think, okay, I'm really good at writing fiction. I'm really good at creating nonfiction narratives. I love this. I can do this all day long, very fast. And I started to think about like, who else is in the marketplace that turned their writing prowess and taste for stories into a viable business, like into a story studio that worked. And it's been tried many times before by different authors like James Patterson, Michael Crichton. They tried to do these things and both of them had a pretty high degree of success with it. But I started to ask the question, how could I build this full stack media company for, you know, not just myself, but for everybody? How could I build a media company that changed the debate and the discussion in really positive ways? And I guess the thing that's like driving me that is hard to put into words was telling stories is something I've done since I've been a, a child. Like I've been in kindergarten compulsively like illustrating stories and, tr and trying to like write out dialogue and everything. And it was the first thing I got in trouble for that I remember. And it was, it was the first thing that people kind of cautioned me not to do. And anytime an adult cautions you or a collection of adults cautions you not to do something or not to pursue a certain interest or industry or intuition. Watch me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, I just started exploring with that. And I realized that like, I love this. I love curating media. I love collecting, you know, great writers and helping promote their work. And when they're having doubts about their work, I love getting on the phone with them and saying like, stop doubting yourself. Just make, make great stuff, write great stuff. And I want to help those people be successful. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I don't think that generally ever anyone in tech that it has a oh, creator friendly business or something, I don't think they've really thought about how to monetize that for creators over the long term. And I mean, I've studied all kinds of different business models from the best agencies in Hollywood to the best production companies, the best story studios, the best podcast and branded entertainment companies. And I saw this common thread, this common theme that a single company could do this and do it really well. And that the place, like the place to start was in enterprise for the Fortune 100, because that is an area where that is like taboo for the mainstream media industry. For most media companies, even those that are VC backed, they would never dare say, I love the Fortune 100 companies. And the fact that they are dying at an increasing rate is a huge problem. So the average lifespan of a fortune or health span, whatever you want to call it, of a Fortune 100, I think has fallen by half in recent years. And this is a big, a big challenge and a, and a really big problem because not many Americans know that how they get better technology, better services at a lower cost, how their life gets better is dependent on the success of the Fortune 100, the Fortune 500, Fortune 2000. Like, and hey, um, yeah. startups. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, startups, like who's going to buy you? This is a wonderful industry for all of its like supposed flaws. It's really important that these people win and that they win on a massive scale. You have instances where like Aramico 
the Saudi Arabian oil company is getting ready to IPO at $2 trillion, it's estimated. And meanwhile, people are screaming about monopolies in the US. They think that Fang is a monopoly. Fang's not a monopoly. Like, leave those guys alone. <laughs> like, they already are under enough scrutiny. They need to get bigger. And all the Fortune 100 needs to get bigger. And this is just like a, a drive I have where a lot of people don't like this. That's fine. But I'm going to help all of our clients win. Like, when a client works with us at the mission, there isn't a separation of church and state. We believe very strongly that if we're going to work with somebody, if we're going to take money from them, our duty is to help them win. This doesn't mean we create propaganda, but it sure means that we fight for their best interests. It means that we push back in meetings. If we feel very strongly that a certain decision is going to impact ROI, we go for it. And we're unashamed of helping them make a lot of money. And that's, that's okay. And it just so happens that it's we- It's capitalism for fuck's sakes. Yes. And, and the problem in the media world is somebody moved the category and uh, <laughs> they didn't figure it out and now they don't know how to make money. And, and so their answer, this is what drives me crazy. Their answer Preach. is we're going to give you half a centimeter, not even an inch, the screen. And what's going to be on the rest of the screen is giant ads and pop-ups yes. and videos that follow you around. And it's yes. unconsumable. It's like, so, so, so wait a minute. You're not making any money. And so the number one thing you're going to do is you're going to jam your website full of ads so that you can make more money. They're sure that this is the right strategy. It's great. It's so funny watching it. You go to Forbes.com and the first thing that happens is a giant site takeover of an ad. Yes. Holy, I, really? Yeah, I Googled That's something yesterday. That's your idea? Yeah, I Googled something yesterday and I was looking at the three different tabs I had open. Uh, it was all from one of the companies I think you just mentioned. And I, I looked back at them, I was like, wait, did I just go to Mercedes? No, oh, 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 okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, and they said like yeah. this, like kind of like teaser full page ad, but it's just garbage. And if you look at what Mercedes can afford to pay per customer, they're literally paying right now to be hated and despised by the up and coming millennial generation. There are right. so many brands that they don't know how much they are getting remarkability in the marketplace, meaning there are all kinds of consumers that are going around remarking about how horrible the brand is because they're associated with the horrible user experience on these publishers sites. Yeah. So it's actually in the it's in the best interest of the Fortune 100, Fortune 500 that they explore branded content and they take branded content very seriously. The developing world is coming online and we want to help lift up as many people as we can out of poverty. And we want to make the lifespan and health spans of everyone much better. That's not going to happen, unfortunately, with paywalls and streaming costs. Those are so high right now that to get the best information in the world to others in the developing world, for lack of a better word, you need branded content. It's not going to happen with paywalls. It's not going to happen with pop-up ads. And branded content is just simply you partner with one specific company that you really care about that has a good message that has great products and services and then you're not afraid about creating a story and working yeah. them into the story it's what steven spielberg does and he is the ultimate master at doing branded content that nobody minds and so people say like you your mission is to turn companies in, into legendary branded quote-unquote branded con that's the category I want to create corporate mythology and stories that last for hundreds of years. Yeah. And we're not going to get there right away with partnerships with certain companies. But over time, as the partnership grows, deepens, expands, as we take a small marketing budget and deliver on exactly what we say we're going to do, 
the reorders are already coming in and we're going to get there. What's sort of the minimum spend if I'm a uh, company and I say, hey, you know what, turn me into a branded content. Let's do this for six months or a year or like I'm, I'm in. Yep. Where does where does it start financially? What's the commitment they need to make? Definitely. So our pilots, we've been really fortunate. Our first one was 135,000. I'll be completely transparent here. 135,000. We just put out another pilot for 360. We would really recommend that clients can start out at at least 200, but we can definitely work with them if there's like maybe something very specific or if they have a very high lifetime value of their product or service, we're more than happy to you know, consider smaller test spends. But ideally um, 200 is where you'd want to start. And then you really, yeah, you really need that type of runway in order to make anything great happen. Yeah. Uh, and then when we get to the, uh, so we just sent out a request for proposal to a large tech company that many people would be familiar with for uh, $360,000. And that sounds like a lot of money to some people who aren't familiar with the enterprise, but it's actually a really small budget. And part of that includes an A-lister who is going to be narrating the podcast and promoting it from an influencer capacity. You didn't ask me to narrate the podcast. (laughs) Chris, we have so much stuff in the pipeline that if you're ever interested, we can definitely- I'm an (laughs) L-lister. I feel like that sometimes too. We just got our first rejection from an A-list celebrity who we asked to come on the podcast. The team was kind of bummed out and I said, no, 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 you don't understand. We actually got the rejection from them. I was like, that's a huge step forward. That's uh, a major deal. I get rejected all the time. (laughs) Although Same. I don't you know. It's funny. I hear some podcasters talk about like, oh, you know, we chased so-and-so super ding-dong person for like six months to finally get them on the podcast. <laughs> My attitude is really simple. If we invite you on the podcast and you don't come, go f*** yourself. Yes. And my favorite, I don't know, you know, this this is because I'm, I'm not a good person, but my favorite <laughs> I don't believe it. Ha- has been there were a handful of bigger business names we invited on the podcast early, probably earlier than we should have. It's probably a dumb idea, but I've, whatever. I've done the same thing. Yeah. Right. And, then, and they said no. And then like six months ago or whatever, their PR people are in my inbox. <laughs> like, hey, I won't name any names, but go f*** yourself. You're never coming on this podcast. If you wouldn't come on and bet on us when we were early and now that we're a big deal and the folks at the mission and all these other people keep putting us on all these super ding dong lists with all the other <laughs> big ding dong podcasts. Um, hey, ding dong lists are, I mean, they're where it's at. They're a great tool for discovery. You, no, I know. You guys keep putting me on all the lists. There I am next to James Altucher. It's like, oh, excellent. <laughs> well deserved. Well, deserved, so. well, well, thank you. How can I help you? I, first of all, I think yeah. I have a, a, a real prospect for you who we could talk oh, awesome. about offline, but a, like a very real prospect. But um, other, than, so this, other than send you some prospects. Yeah, Play Bigger has been a game changer. I started reading it this weekend. It's Yeah, it's phenomenal. So you already have helped there. We're definitely going to be reaching out to hopefully hire your, your team to go over our message, our marketing materials and everything. We could use the help and... I also feel like it's perfect, like it's perfectly suited to your expertise. Um, so, so that's I have that's the a biggest proposal thing. for you on that. First of all, I have Shoot. no, I no longer have a team. So I okay left Play Bigger the company when the book came out. So that was two years gotcha. ago, and I spent six months thinking I was going to be retired, and then I, you know, have slowly become less and less retired. So that's point A. Point B, I'm willing to do a swap with you, like okay. seriously. 
The number sure. one thing that we need help with on Legends and Losers is distribution. Okay. Right. So we have a podcast who, and you know, it's it's such a bummer not having real analytics, but is it best, is it though? Is it or is that how the ecosystem has become so dynamic? So this my my view on this changed two days ago. Okay, um, we, can t- we can talk about that later. It's no, it's one of those weird psychological quirks where because there has been this is just a theory, but because there has been less measurement of exact user behavior and attribution attributions, excuse me, can't speak on the. There you go. Yeah, attribution. I don't <laughs> attribution. think attribution is it maybe a combination of attribution <laughs> and prohibition. I'm a new dad, so I'm I'm operating on uh, limited sleep here. How new um, of a dad are you? Uh, six months. Very um, good. Congratulations. Thanks. Appreciate it. So yeah, what we found when I found this theory, it really clicked because in some ways, advertisers are more open to just spending and helping to be a bit more generous in their ad spend because yeah. there isn't that extreme measurement. And in a way, that's what's led to the podcast renaissance. Yeah. But that's how the theory goes. I kind of buy it, but I'm also pretty bullish on like dynamic insertion and things like that. So, so anyway, so that's cool. Here's the, here's the thing I know. So I have, we have no idea like what percentage of people who try an episode of legends and losers stick with it for that episode. Never mind, become loyal listeners. Like there's just no way to know that. Right. If I had to guess, I don't know. I would probably guess it's one in 10. It's sure. It, I think it's probably a fairly low number, and I don't know. My sense is this is what our fans tell us that it, it you know, we are one of those things where you either really love it uh, and it, you get addicted, or you don't like it at all. It's so different, you know. The, the, it's called honesty, <laughs> and it tends to resonate. <laughs> but yeah, not being afraid to yeah drop the occasional f bomb or yeah tell it like it is is uh, is a lost art. So. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's too long. Your podcast is too long. (laughs) The average commute is 22 minutes, so your podcast should be 21 minutes and all that stuff, you know. And play bigger. You have the 10 reasons you shouldn't read the rest of this book. Yeah. Every podcast, every media company, you need to be like that, I think. So um, we're for these people. We're not for whiners, and that's okay. That's so funny. Maybe I should do that. Maybe we should write the 10 reasons not to listen to Legends and Losers. Oh, definitely. Yeah, for sure. It's too long, and their swearing are probably, you know. And Christopher yes. interrupts too much. Yeah, well, that's true, you know, same, et cetera. Same but, so, but here's what we do know. What we do know is whatever the percentages are, if it's 1 in 10, or I have no clue. But whatever it is, we have as rabid a loyal fan base as any media property can have. If you like our f- podcast, you f- love legends and losers and you're probably a technology executive or a really experienced and successful person like i that's the show has to be over indexed towards that those types of people for sure well here's the wild thing so of course no real no real data but if you make the following leaps of logic and there's a couple of leaps here a that google analytics is generally directionally correct sure b that who comes to the website is plus or minus who listens to the podcast. So if you make those leaps, I don't know that you should, but let's just say they're right. The weirdest thing, Chad is first of all, 50% female. 
we're like 48% or something, what, 47, somewhere in there, like high 40%. So let's just call it 50% women. Sure. I got told in the beginning, oh man, you know, the way you talk and all that, like, and the name of the show and the logo and all that, like, no chicks. Well, turns out that's not true. If, if you believe the Google translates to the listeners. Here's the I other one I, I wondered about. You know, I'm a 50-year-old dude. So to your point, is it going to be more experienced, so to speak? Our demo skews way young. Yeah. Um, like 18 to 40. Yeah. Millennials are than I would have thought based on the Google. Really, really, yeah, really. And I, I use, I kind of hate using the word millennials, but just for lack of a better word, like young people, people who care about the information that they feed their mind with, they're all about new media sources. They're going to be the first ones to find them. And they don't care about the user experience or how many listeners a show has. If they feel like there is a host or a person that is authentic that they can connect with, they'll choose that person all day long. And what companies haven't figured out is that like the richness of that connection is what matters. And the type of people they're listening is what matters. You can show ad impressions to people all day long, but if there's a host that you know, has a verbal connection with somebody that speaks to them every single day or a couple times a week or a couple times a month, that's a level of intimacy that most people like most marketers would never even dream of exploring, yep. but it's what matters. So as we go forward, I would love Chad to have a conversation with you about like, how do you help us grow our distribution and obviously therefore our audience? Yeah. You know, that, um, that's so, a big one, right? I so works about so, social media and I, I can't, I finally decided enough's enough. Like, I'm not doing what all these people tell me to do. I, I am not getting yeah. on doing these daily story motivational. Like everybody wants me to do all this, what I think is complete stupidity. Like every time I talk to somebody and say, okay, we suck at social media. What you, oh, well, you should do Instagram stories and you should do Snapchat, whatever the f*** you're supposed to do. It, it, it just, I can't do it. It like, yeah. I, I have like a, like, go f*** yourself. I, I'm not doing it. <laughs> So I don't know. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm That's a, not I the path for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I tend to get a bit triggered when people just mindlessly advocate that you be everywhere on these social media sites. I just don't understand the logic and the strategy uh, for it. I just get the biggest kick out of too whenever I go home or whenever I'm talking to any old friends that they use social media accounts to judge the success of your business. So we recently launched, we're profitable, we're growing fast, like we're about to triple, if not 10x our sales. And I just always get a big kick out of people that assuming that the business is a certain size or not quite successful because we don't have this like massive social media following. Uh, we do on Medium, but it's just, it's so funny that people in the modern world equate social media success with real business success. And the two are rapidly diverging. And you have to choose wisely because you have finite time. And so I'm right there with you. So definitely skeptical yeah. of socials. Yeah. Now you, you built the business on medium. Have you not? So we have an email newsletter. That's the, that daily newsletter is the primary driver of the business. And every time we launch a new branded channel, we launch a new microsite. So we're getting ready to launch futureofcities.com. Yeah. And that's in partnership with Katera, which is a SoftBank vision backed, incredible company that's trying to turn building buildings into basically using the same operations process that is used to build iPhones, building buildings in a modular way that's scalable, that can be done really fast. So 
you know, there's definitely a housing crisis right now. And that's a great example of like partnering with a company, building a custom branded channel and season one of the future cities drops on the 15th of this month. So nice. yeah. So each, each one has a custom branded channel and we capture email addresses there. Sometimes we'll have like a lead magnet if that fits with the client's strategy. I'll bug you for some free consulting. If I was smart and I was me, what would be the one big thing that we would either do that we're not doing or do better or differently than we're doing that we're really up? So I, I think that would be presumptuous of me to, to say anything at, at this point because the show is working. And I would, I would ask you, like, are you happy with the podcast? Is there anything that, you're, that frustrates you about the podcast or about the creative process that's involved with it? So on the whole creative side, absolutely not. On the whole, like doing it side, on the, all of the entire kind of creation of, of Legends and Losers, it is with few exceptions at very few times, an absolute labor of love for me. There's sure. almost never where I go, oh, f I got to, I got to do X. No. Right. My frustration is a simple one. There's 600,000 podcasts. I think we've done really well. We've gotten, you know, a very loyal fan base and sure. you guys and a bunch of others keep saying we're one of the best podcasts around and all that stuff. So lots of critical acclaim, but, and I know this shouldn't drive me crazy the way it does, but I'll just tell you the God's honest truth. Sure. My buddy, Jordan Harbinger gets, I don't know. I think he's 4 million downloads a month. We don't get 4 million downloads a month. And so I think I will be driven crazy until we get to about 100,000 downloads an episode. Okay. Is the game plan to monetize via... I don't care about okay monetization. Look, oh, sell... if, you don't care, if you don't care about monetization, that's, I mean, that's even easier. I would just propose, though, that to find a really good partner to help you get 100,000, you might want to explore it. Because if the partner is properly incentivized, that's the best way for the business relationship to go really well. Because one of the things that we're exploring is signing podcasts. We're pretty good. We're getting really, you know, we're improving every day at our ability to attract corporate sponsorships. And those don't always have to be lame. In some cases, having a corporate sponsor is going to be able to give the creator way more capital to expand operations or say, maybe add a social person to do all the things that you can't stand to just repurpose the episodes, repurpose the content. And so maybe a corporate sponsor is a good fit for that. Or well, we have one. Um, I mean, we're sponsored by Oracle NetSuite and we have been gotcha. for the last nine months or so. The reason we did it is simple. I know the head of marketing. I've known him for way longer than I want to admit. <laughs> and, and we thought it would be cool because they're on the same mission that we're on, which is empowering mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, right? So it fit, and I think it's made the show, I actually think it's better because yeah. we sound like a f***ing real show. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that it's really helped us that much from an audience development, audience growth perspective. I mean, maybe it has, you know, and they do some things to help us, but it's nothing, right. I don't know. I, it has, there's been no meaningful jump. It's not like we went, oh, now there's like, you know, 50,000 more downloads an episode or no, that, that has not happened. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I mean, so one of the things that we're building, like we're trying to figure out how do we sign key podcasts? And basically that just means we're, we would represent them and sell their ad inventory. And I think that, you know, I'm sure that you're like a podcast you know, one. 
pretty much, except we also are going to add distribution. We're going to do a lot of things with promotion, case in point. So we have one of the best SEO guys in the country works on our team and he's working. We're talking to several different designers trying to find the right one to build podcast.ai. So that's a personalized recommendation engine. And we've made a lot of progress behind the scenes of that. We have a, a pretty crappy um, alpha that's, <laughs> that's out there and you can check it out. But getting that to rank number one in Google for the search phrase podcast, that's step one for us in terms of the value that we're going to add to podcasts on our network. And then we have another microsite. It's called bestpodcast.com. Right. That's another part of the strategy. Get that ranking number two. So podcast.ai, number one, bestpodcast.com, ranking for that search phrase as well. So just between those two search phrases, you can cover about you know, one to 1.5 million of organic searches a month. And, you know, we're a small company. We're really scrappy, doing a lot with a, a few resources. And that's one of the value adds that we're going to bring to podcasters on our network that we've talked to some of the folks at Podcast One, at Midroll, and we've, you know, Stitcher too. And we've heard some of the conversations that they have with creators, with podcasters, with experts in the space. And these networks, I think, are great for certain types of consumer facing podcasts, but for deep, honest conversations that are with industry experts or with executives, they have no idea about who to sign, what type of content to create, what type of ask that they should make of the sponsor. There's just a whole litany of things. And we're just adding more and more to this list every single day. And it's just way, way easier. There's this big gap in the market, basically, where there's no network for B2B podcasts or complicated podcasts and, you know, industries like biotech or life sciences, like there aren't any, you know, CIOs, there generally aren't any great podcasts. And that's where we're going to start. There's no great CIO podcast. There's no Mark Maron of CIOs. It's called IT Visionaries. The entire IT track at Dreamforce was actually rebranded to IT Visionaries, which we were floored by. But that's one example where the- that's a Salesforce sponsored podcast from you guys? It is. Yeah. So Salesforce was, they were delighted in month one. And, you know, we were looking at what we did thinking I was kind of like being too hard on myself and the team. We were wishing that it could be better. And then the results started coming in and Salesforce, their team was delighted. And it's one of those things where I'm pretty naive. I'm still learning everything I can about the tech and enterprise space, but I just, I didn't really understand how much the lifetime value of a single lead for Salesforce is at how good their systems and processes are from their sales teams. And so they can track metrics like this and it only takes, you know, a couple to make this ROI positive. And we're in the reorder conversation with them right now. They're thrilled. We're talking about adding video. So we, we nerd out about this stuff and that's just what we do. So you're looking for podcasts to put on your network. Is that what I just heard you say? Yeah, we're, we're in conversations with, I think we've talked to about a dozen different shows right now where we're just saying basically like, what are your problems? What do you need? are you okay with the 70-30 revenue split? So we would take 30, you take 70. Generally, everybody said, yeah, that sounds good. Send me the offer, send me what you got. And so once we can get basically, you know, 12 to maybe 20 podcasts lined up, we'll feel comfortable that we can go lock in a huge advertising budget to basically get to these creators for an extended period of time. And that type of certainty is vital in terms of, giving the creator a really long runway and saying this sponsorship is not for one episode, one week, one month. It's for six months. That's vital because that allows the creator to take a longer term view, 
and it allows the sponsor to just sit back and relax and stop worrying about the day-to-day -day metrics and realize that like, you know, this is a, a bet on the long-term nature of the show, of the creator, stop viewing it as a transactional relationship. So yeah, we're generally the creator's champion in every sense of the word. Well, and it's interesting because I know some podcasts who've been around for quite a while that don't necessarily have huge numbers, but they have very right. loyal, you know, attractive to advertiser demographics. And, you know, I know guys who are making two, three hundred thousand dollars a year with their podcast, quote unquote, side hustle, yep. who, you know, are in the 10,000 download sort of neighborhood. You know, they've just been savvy about how to sell that stuff. It's so um, that's exactly could, right. Um, I could see how having a network of, you know, 30 B2B podcasts, you say, look, you're just going to invest across these 30. Some of them are going to be better than others. And that's what you're going to do, and, and it's going to work. I mean, the NetSuite folks have been super smart because they realize that for the most part, with, with some exceptions, but a lot of the podcast advertisers, you know, are fairly lame. Or, or they're companies that every anybody who listens – like there's no podcast listener on the planet that needs to hear another ZipRecruiter ad. <laughs> Like they've done much. a great job. Yeah. I think they're really, really smart, but they blanketed yeah. it. There have been very few that have done that. And, you know, so NetSuite is now, I don't know that they're going quite as far as ZipRecruiter went, but I mean, it's uncharted territory. And they realize that, to your point, the intimacy and all, there's just a thing that's very different about podcasts, right? Well, their podcasts are augmented reality that actually works. So a Why do you AR that augmented works? reality because you can do more, you can become more with it. Like the idea that you would have a tutor in your ear is something that was reserved for Kings not too long ago. Like having an expert in business, just imagine if you're an aspiring up and coming IT leader and you can get mentorship from CIOs of the Fortune 100. There's plenty of people that would turn their nose up at that. In fact, the majority of people would, but for that select group of people that are aspiring IT executives, I can't think of a better thing to add to your daily routine than that. That is like an unprecedented opportunity because what you're doing is basically like, you know, podcasts are e-learning that actually works that your employees are going to want to use that you're not going to have to have like somebody dealing with like logins and all kinds of technical issues all day long. Podcasts are augmented reality that you can do the dishes, you can go to the gym. They're generally for like really successful people who are busy. And that's something that I think the B2B and tech world is just now coming to terms with. Yeah, and it's interesting from a lifestyle perspective, because you don't sit down and consume a podcast the way you do a TV show, un unless you're sitting on a plane, I think most of us are doing some other thing, right? You're at the gym, you're going for a run, you're going for a walk, you're doing the dishes. You're, you're, like there's, or you, of course, many people are commuting, right? You sort of sure. have to have that other thing that's something that you're doing that is not all mentally consuming that frees up the podcast. If you're, if you're somebody with no commute and you don't go to the gym, you're not going to find the time to consume a podcast. You're not going to sit yeah. there and listen to a podcast. You have to have this dead time where you're doing something that's menial, but, but takes some effort. Productive. That is like, you know, you mentioned like gardening and things like that. Like that's therapeutic. I just think that the type of person that is listening to podcasts is like, they are so much more educated, so much more affluent than the average 
media consumer. And that's not a trying to be mean to the average media consumer or the person that yeah, I get loves it. Netflix. It's like, I watch movies. I love Westworld. There's a bunch of things that I enjoy, but man, podcasters are a, a different audience and they're great. So, so, you know, and you tell me, but what I'm interested in is um, distribution because I can't even quite tell you what our avatar is, but what I, here's what I do know. At some point, it's a numbers game. And the big questions that, that I had to get answered were, you know, could we create a podcast that is any good? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think we answered that question. Absolutely. Could we create any kind of a audience that would think the podcast is any good? Okay, we've answered that question. Could we actually get people of consequence to come on and have no bullshit conversations? Well, a, we just dropped episode number two with four-star general Stanley McChrystal. Okay, Congrats. answered that question. And yeah. Legends and Losers was one of the very first podcasts he did for his new book, and we beat everybody, including my friend Jordan Harbinger, Nina Nonner, out with that episode. And so we've answered all those questions. The question we haven't answered is, is this going to scale? Right? And I know at some level, it's a numbers game. We just have to be in front of hundreds of thousands if not millions of people to get to where we want to get to because if we got in front of i'll just say let's say we got in front of a hundred thousand people in a meaningful way i don't know you tell me how how many how many listeners do we pick up if a hundred thousand people actually sort of pay a smidgen of attention i mean it depends what episode they listen to but generally i think podcasts are pretty sticky so that's the type of thing where if there is a focused media effort to drive more downloads to your podcast and you'll be able to do that for sure it depends on how long getting to a hundred thousand daily listeners depending on like the budget and the resources given and everything like that probably like be able to get there in six months I, i just don't see how that's a problem because think about this industry too like this industry is going to double maybe by next year a lot of people think that's too aggressive i don't think so the more i learn about podcasting the more i see everybody trying to figure out what it is. And I think that there's like a couple tweaks or a couple things that either we could do or that you could do to get there fast. Because I mean, just consider one quality feature with Apple, with Stitcher, with Spotify, there's the upside there of getting 25,000 new listeners pretty easily. That's a conservative estimate. I've heard of some people getting- by one quality feature? I don't know what that means. Yeah. So all these platforms have features, they have editors, they have teams where if you think about the number, the number one goal of a lot of editors on these platforms, it's just to get user time up. It's just to get more people and generally get more people hanging out near the vending machine. So they're always looking for great podcasts with interesting guests that are pegged to some type of calendar event or some type of, uh, you know, if there's a reason for the feature, I think that a lot of these platforms are going to be inclined to do it. So we've heard of some podcasts getting a front page feature on Stitcher and instantly getting 50,000 subscribers, 50,000 listeners. So those results are not typical, but they're also, if you're in the you know, upper percentile and you're at the top of your game, you can, you can do it. The Mission Studios creates custom media for world-class companies like Salesforce, Twilio, Katera, and more. To connect with our team of creatives, you can reach us at info at 
Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.